Father, we thank you for this, the Lord's Day, a day for us like Easter Sunday last week to remember the good news that's above all good news, Lord, that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Lord, we pray today as we gather in your name that you would meet each of us. Lord, we believe that your spirit is powerful and active among your people. And so, Lord, we look to you. We bring to you this morning our hurts and our worries, our fears, Lord, the things that we are carrying around with us. Lord, we we thank you that you tell us to cast all those things upon you. So, Father, we come this morning. We pray for those who are sick and struggling, those who are dealing with uh, bad doctor's reports, those who are facing difficulties in intimate relationships, the people they love and care about the most. Lord, we, we pray for those who are struggling with uh, the return to school for their kids and for those kids who are struggling, for our college students who've had to figure out life on campus for a year now. And Lord, we, we pray, Father, that you would just meet us where we come to you weak and needy this morning. We pray, Father, some of us come excited to be here. Some of us come really as sort of a last-ditch attempt, Lord, to connect with you. And Lord, however we come, Lord, we pray that we would find your spirit powerful and at work among us. Lord, meet us as we come this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple words before uh, we read the scripture together this morning as we're launching a new series. Here goes. Mailwidge. Mailwidge is what brings us together today. Mailwidge, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. And love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your love. Okay, some of you are laughing, and you obviously recognize that as not my, my lisp. But like, you know, the words of um, the priest in The Princess Bride at the marriage of uh, Buttercup and Prince Humperdinck, right? Remember that? Okay. Uh, but that is the theme of our next sermon series Marriage is what brings us together today. So that's, that's where we're going. Uh, I'm starting a series called Married Like Jesus. It was supposed to be done a year ago, and something, I don't remember what, kind of got, anyway, derailed a lot of things about a year ago. Um, so it's been put on hold. We did a series last year called Single Like Jesus. And just like that, this series is for the whole of our church. So a couple caveats before I jump in and before we read this passage. Why a sermon on marriage? Well, easily, uh, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. I think that's why nationally rates of cohabitation are going up while rates of marriage are going down. Um, A lot of people think, hey, maybe we should test drive this. And and ironically, there is nothing you can do to... um, Destroy, this is statistically shown, shown over and over again. There's nothing worse that you can do to um, destroy a relationship besides moving in together without a covenant bond. That's been shown over and over again in studies nationally. Marriage is an institution we need to, to guard and not discard. It's God's idea. It really matters. Uh, second, because marriage is such an important theme of the Bible. God calls his people... The bride of Christ. That's why we're calling this married like Jesus. That's sort of a pun on Jesus married to his people. Jesus united to us. And marriage shows us something about who God is. This is why, sadly, we have a very confused culture about marriage. 
uh, in our country today because the government, the U.S. government, should never have gotten involved in defining marriage. It's God's idea. It comes from his word. And so, like, when you have a, co- a country where a civil magistrate can pronounce a marriage, when you give tax benefits to married filing jointly, it just makes it really confusing as to what it really is. Like, what did God intend this to be? And so this is really important. We want to reclaim some of that. And third, COVID-19 has been so hard on marriages. I've talked to, um, and that's true of every other area of life, right? This is not unique to marriage. It's businesses and uh, relationships, uh, churches, singles, kids. I mean, it's hard on everything. But I've talked to um, lots of counselors who have incredible, like, packed schedules, because of the amount of stress COVID-19 has put on marriages. But I just want to say this, too. This is not a, a series just for married people. This is a series for the whole church because we're going to focus on not just marriage, but really all relationships. This is a, a series about relationships. In fact, only one of the seven of the sermons we're doing about this will be explicitly and only about marriage. Um, Every other week will be focused on relationships. Uh, This is why we're going through not just Ephesians 5, that little section from 22 to 31, but Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6. Because that section of Ephesians is all about how do we live out the gospel in our relationships. I I took this from um, another another, uh, pastor and counselor, Tim Lane, but he says, you know, most marriage problems are not Ephesians Five problems, there are Ephesians four problems, and that's why we're starting here. And so look, if you're married, there are going to be plenty of applications for you. If you are not married, there will be plenty of applications for you. And finally, I want to say this. I am no married marriage expert. You know, a lot of times when a pastor speaks with conviction and authority, people are like, you must know lots about this and be really good at marriage, and you may be able to really fix my marriage. To be really honest, I'm not that great at marriage. Uh, We've been married for almost 27 years, and really the credit of that goes to the grace of God and the patience of Susan, a lot more than like Jeff knows what he's talking about here, okay? So uh, just going to say that, right? So let's read together from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. This is printed in your bulletin. It's also up on the screen for y'all who are here. Um, Let's read this aloud together. You ready? Three, two, one. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, pray that the words of my mouth or the meditations of all of our hearts, these would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our fortress and our redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As I said just a moment ago, uh, the reason we're starting here is that most marriage problems, most relationship problems, are not Ephesians 5 problems, but Ephesians 4 problems. And, and, you know, most problems in marriage are not about needing to know God's blueprint for marriage, needing more information about how God designed marriage. What's funny in Reformed circles is that we think we need more information all the time. Now, information is great, But sometimes I think that particularly Reformed Christians or Presbyterians, we think information equals transformation. But let's test drive that a moment. Is that true? I mean, I I think that if information equals transformation, we would all be a lot richer and a lot thinner. Right? I mean, you know, uh, we all know that there's foods that we shouldn't eat but we do. <laughs> we know we should exercise more, but we don't. Uh, we, we know that we should spend less, but we still do. We know that we should save more, but we don't. <laughs> right? Information doesn't always mean transformation. Uh, knowing all about the biblical structure of marriage and all that, that's great. And there are lots of great authors who've treated that before, and you can go read their books. Uh, But I want to really focus more principally on relationship problems because Paul is addressing all kinds of relationship problems in the body of Christ in Ephesus, and all of those apply in the body and also in a marriage. And we're going to look at both of those. And so uh, for some of you, you can think about applying this directly in your marriage. For others, you need to be thinking about how am I applying this in my relationships in the church? in the body of Christ. Here's my outline for this morning, if you take notes, uh, two F's, two P's, all right? The foundation, the fight, the power, the practice. The foundation and the fight, the power and the practice. And our, our focus this morning is on unity. This passage is all about unity. It's all about the unity between Christ and his people. It's all about the unity of, of the way that God leads his church and it's a call to unity for us with one another. So look, at, look first here at verse 3. The foundation for unity is, 3, the Spirit. 
in both marriage and in the body of Christ, the church, the foundation of our unity, the unity is the unity of the Spirit. That's the foundation. In the church, it's God's work that binds people together. Now, we didn't start with chapter 2 or chapter 1, so I'm going to just tell you what, what Paul says here about how our unity comes about. He says this. He says, we all used to be aliens and strangers, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of, of, of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And, and then Christ comes. This is what he says. Christ comes together. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who brings together, tears down the walls between us. Uh, this is from the message, a paraphrase, but so good. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. This is the, this is the unity that is given to the church, purchased by the blood of Jesus, now cemented to you by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what a tuning fork is? Man, I tried to borrow a tuning fork for this sermon today. I couldn't find anybody who owned a tuning fork. Does anybody own a tuning fork anymore? Okay, a couple of y'all. Right, like tuning fork is this little metal thing, right? And you bang it and you put it on a piece of wood that especially it's hollow like a piano that we don't have right up here. But you put it on a piano or a guitar and it goes, mm, right, like it plays a tone and you can tune to it. Now I want you to think about this. A tuning fork only plays one note, always the same note. And so a lot of times a tuning fork, you could take a tuning fork, bang it, tune this piano and that piano and that piano and that piano and that piano and, that piano and, that piano and all the little pianos in this room. And that because they're all tuned to the tuning fork, they're also tuned to each other. This is what Christ gives us by tuning us to him. Right? Like he makes us right with God. And this is what purchases unity in the body of Christ. This is what makes for unity in this. But notice, even in this passage, unity never means uniformity. Unity being one doesn't mean we're all the same. Do you notice in here, verses 7 through 11, Paul says, there's an array of gifts that are given to the church. All kinds of different gifts. God sprinkles them out so that we might all use them for the building up. Or he talks about Christ being the head of the body, and, and this is um, every joint and ligament. When it's equipped with each part working properly, it makes it grow so that it builds itself up. Some of you are like finger joints and some of your knee joints, but he's saying all those joined together, that's our unity. That's our unity. A unity without uniformity. That unity without uniformity is also what we see as a pattern for marriage. Two different become one. See, what do we read in the first pages of Genesis about the first couple and the first marriage? The two become one. Oh, you got to talk to me. I, you know, I don't like talking by myself. The two become one what? The two become one flesh. And we're going to read this in the next chapter, in chapter 5. Paul cites it again. He says the two become one flesh. In fact, that statement is repeated four times. Once in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. This is really held up for us. Two become one. Unity without uniformity. And it's not talking about sex. I mean, yes, it extends to that. It's talking about a deeper soul unity that God designs in marriage. And it's funny, uh, Paul tacks a little statement 
on that in Ephesians 5. He says, this is a mystery. This is, this is profound that God does this. Become one. It's a sacred union. Starts in a moment. Lasts forever. Right? It's about unity. Now, I do a ton of weddings. I have done a ton of weddings. Especially in our church in Philly. I did a ton of weddings. Here we do a ton of baptisms. Right? Because y'all think church growth is having more babies. But listen, you know, um, I get the best seat in the house for doing weddings. This is a perfectly designed building for doing a wedding, right? Nice center aisle, little stage up here. I'm always the guy right here, and there's a groom right here, okay, waiting for her to come down the aisle. And, and I love doing weddings. It never gets old. And here's why. Um, you know, most of it is like, okay, you know, but we get to the vows, and it almost takes my breath away. It never gets old for me. I watch two people make a lifetime promise. And i got to tell you, as a pastor, it feels like the veil between earth and heaven is really thin at that moment. I'm just like, wow. You know, there's something incredible. Two become one. And the Spirit is the foundation for the unity. The unity of the church, the unity in a marriage, both of those are given, created by the Lord. And yet, even though that's our foundation, there's also a fight. There's a fight for unity. But the unity that Paul speaks of is not something that we create, but it is something we're called to maintain. Look at verse 3 eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The gospel creates the unity, but when we lose the unity between one another, that's because we have failed to maintain it. Yeah, I honestly think that the, the ESV is a little bit kind of weak on this. I like that Brian used the NIV translation in our call to worship this morning. He, the NIV translates it this way. Make every effort... Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I like that. It captures the urgency to this. The fight. There's a fire that's necessary for unity. I mean, the Greek word there, make every effort, means to strive earnestly and eagerly and diligently. It's the word actually in, that a, glad, a trainer of gladiators would use in sending the gladiators out to fight in the Colosseum. It's like, make every effort to stay alive out there today. You hear that urgency of that? The fight of that? You know, I think too often, though, both in the body of Christ and in our marriages, you know, we assume that the unity will just sort of take care of itself. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of magic dust created by God, so it's just going to take care of itself. But you would never treat your car or your house that way. Right, You know, you would never treat your car like that. I mean, you have a car, and it takes a lot of money and effort to keep a car going, doesn't it? I mean, you're regularly, like, changing the oil and the brake pads and the tires. You know, my older kids think, you know, a car, you pay for it once, and you're done. No, you pay for it all the time, right? Same thing with a house. Man, you constantly... Appliances break, and things need to be painted, and there's a leak, and right, all those little things that make up maintaining your house and your car, and yet we don't treat our relationships the same way. Not even close. You know, I'm surprised sometimes when, 
uh, I, I, I meet with a couple and I find out they have done nothing over years to maintain their marriage. There's no evidence of reading a marriage book together, going on a marriage retreat, going to counseling. We, we view in our church counseling as really helpful and normal. You do maintenance on your car, why wouldn't you do maintenance on your marriage? You know, and, and yet what I find is a lot of people seem to think this unity that's like happens in the moment when I'm up front with a couple and they're making vows is somehow it's just magic. But listen to Paul is so realistic here. This is given by the Spirit. And yet we have to fight for this. We have to work to maintain this. You know, it's both a mystery and it's a fight. Unity is, both in the body of Christ and in a marriage. You know, are you eager to maintain, this is a question, are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Are you, are you fighting like a gladiator for that? Your priorities will say whether that's true or not. How you spend your time, what you worry about, what preoccupies most of your thinking. You know, we're all familiar with the problems of unity on a, on a team, right? You, you've seen those teams going, and you're like, this team should kill it in the championships this year. They've got all the players, and yet no ring. Why? No unity. Or, or you see couples, and you're like, man, he's great, she's great, why doesn't this work? No fight for unity. Or you see churches where you're like, man, great pastor, awesome programs, killer building and bus, right? You know, like, and you're like, why isn't this working? No unity. Like, this is so essential. This matters so much. I spoke to a, a counselor recently about like, hey, you see a lot of people. What are the most common things that you're seeing in Raleigh in marriages? See if you can identify. And she divided them up into two groups, sins and sufferings. So here's the sense, you know, thinking of my own needs more than the needs of another person. Entitlement. Lukewarm enthusiasm for the growth of the marriage. Putting things like career, children, or friends before Christ in the marriage. Trying to make the marriage their savior and supplier of all their needs. Addictions. Alcohol, drug usage, pornography. Let me just one off this one as your pastor. Pornography is never going to help your sex life. That's poison. Um, not carrying or sharing the load of life. Those are sins. She described these as sufferings. Um, you know, uh, anxiety, depression of a spouse. Parenting challenges with semi-adult children. Watching kids make choices you don't agree with. Witnessing their sanctification. Uh, physical health challenges. Caring for aging parents, losses of all kinds, you know, losses of job or losses of significant people that you love, uh, death of family members, other griefs. You know, in light of all those hardships, sins and sufferings, I mean, doesn't it make sense that we would really need to work to maintain unity? You know, you've you got to fight for this like a gladiator, you know. So let me ask this. If I were to run the diagnostics, like you came over, what, what, like AutoZone, you know, and they plug in your car to the little reader because the check engine light's gone on. If I was to run the diagnostics on your marriage right now, would that be a used car I want to buy? 
Is there a fight for unity? If I were to run the diagnostics on our church, on our relationships in the body of Christ, are we fighting for unity? Are we working for this? Third here, power for unity. Here, here's the great thing that I want to tell you. You know, one of the secrets that I want to pass on is, look, even if only one person in a relationship is willing to fight for unity, that can go a long way. Even if only one person is like, yeah, I'm all about this, that can go a long way. You know, um, of course, it's amazing when two people are both like, we're going to fight for unity. We're going to strive to make sure that we're on the same page, that we're understanding one another. That's like addition to, what do you call it, arithmetic or what, exponential explosion of numbers, right? Okay, some of you math people are like, yeah, get, move on, pastor boy, right? Uh, but, like, but, but there's even better news. Can I share this with you? You know, the power for unity comes from the Spirit. The Spirit's the foundation for unity. The Spirit is also the power for unity. You know, every time I perform a marriage between two Christians, I tell them this. The Spirit of God is more committed to this relationship than you are. You know, I love performing weddings for young people, for people when they're really young, because let's be honest, you're really dumb. Like, you just don't know. Right? Like, so people who have a little bit more mileage under their belt, they're like, I know, you know, life's, life's kind of hard. Young people are like, this is going to be great. Everything's going to work out like a Disney movie. No, no, you don't. But, you know, I, like, um, but I love that because, you know what, I have such confidence in in that moment. I'm like, wow, the only one in this whole wedding event who knows how hard it's going to be and knows the deep flaws of both of these people is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit knows that and is still like, hey, marriage after the fall is still God's plan A. He still thinks it's a great idea. You know, he's designed it. He's the manufacturer. And he is still into this for fallen people. So I can say with confidence, God is more into your marriage and the unity of your marriage than even you are. That is a great hope. That is a great hope. But here's my thing. You have to make room for him to work. You need to create space for him to work. How do you access the power of God, the spirit to maintain the unity and build unity in your marriage? Let me give you a vision for this. Let me give you a vision for this. Do you know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? Right, both of them have to do with temperatures, right? Thermometer and thermostat. Thermometer reacts. It tells you what temperature the room is. But what does a thermostat do, class? It changes the temperature, right? It changes the temperature. It's the little box on the wall that you fight over, right? Like what it's set at. Because the thermostat can change the temperature. Here, here's my thing. You know, I think that many of us are decent thermometers of our relationships, we can react. We can tell you, hey, how this is going. We're good at reading that. But we don't know how to be thermostats. We don't know how to change the temperature, how to make space 
for the Spirit to work in our relationships. Listen again. Paul shows us, verses 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, unity is built in a relationship by these four gospel virtues that come from the Spirit. I'm, gonna, I'm stealing all this, by the way, from Elliot Grudem, who's in the back here. So uh, He did this for a marriage retreat for our elders. These four things, humility. You know, he, he talks here about humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Humility. Um, humility is to focus on our sin more than we focus on the sin of the other person in the relationship. It's seeing that as the bigger deal, my sin. You know, here's a question. Do you hold your spouse to a higher standard than you do? I mean, I think the answer to, for all of us should be a, come on. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's natural. That's what we expect in all of our relationships. Uh, you know, I get a pass, you're on the hook. But humility says, I'm the problem. And this is one of the big nuggets from Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, the key to a great marriage is when you see yourself as the biggest problem, the biggest sinner, the biggest issue in your marriage. That's humility in action. That's humility lived out. And that kind of humility changes the temperature. Gentleness. You know, gentleness as we, it's not what we often think of it as, right? It's, it's not weakness. Gentleness is strength applied in a very focused way for the empowerment and building up of another. Gentleness is controlled strength. You know, the question for us, are you using your efforts and strength for the building up and empowering of the other? Patience. Patience means you place the needs of others before yourself. You don't have your agenda for the other person. You're saying, what is God doing in you? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? How can I forbear with you? And finally, forbearing love. This is demonstrated when you're annoyed, either by being sinned against or with the other person's habits. Annoying habits. Right? You know, when you are sinned against, how do you respond? Are you quick to lawyer up? You know, or is there a sense of like, I need to hear what you have to say. I need to really enter into what's going on here. I need to like understand what's happening inside of you. You know, how do you respond to the quirks and annoying habits of your spouse that aren't sinful but are just part of their personality? Do you forbear in love? You know, are you kind? Someone who shows forth forbearing love is gentle and patience and humble, all of the above when you're provoked. You know, the good news of all these gospel virtues is actually three out of the four of them are described for us as fruit of the Spirit, right? Forbearing love and patience and gentleness. And humility is one of the great marks of what the Spirit brings in us when we have conviction of sin. These are all works of the Spirit in in God's people. And one of the great things you can do is you find yourself this morning, I, I list these things, you find yourself feeling foolish and lacking and struggling. 
One of the great prayers is, Spirit, help me. I see these things. Grow in me. Grow these gospel virtues. Lord, I want to see the temperature change. I want to become more of a person who, in our regular interactions, in our marriage, in our relationships in the body of Christ, is able to change the the temperature and not just react. Not just be able to tell you what the temperature is, but actually change the temperature in the room. Finally, the practice of unity. I want this series to be incredibly practical, and so I'm going to give you a tool every week, an application point every week. Um, Here's my week one one tool, the weekly meeting. Susan and I teach this every time we do premarital counseling. I don't know how many couples actually do this, but it really, really matters. It really matters. If you would do this, it will change your relationships. Um, you'll start acting like a thermostat. It gives room for the Spirit of God to work in your relationship. You know, the weekly meeting is not date night. It's not romantic. Uh, There shouldn't be a TV on. You really don't want alcohol during this. This is a time where you need a clear head and to be able to listen intently. Kids are not part of this, right? Uh, There's not a meeting that you're up against. This needs to be an open time every week. Here's the, here's the meeting. The meeting is a clearinghouse event. It's, it's when you're going to do two things. You're going to ask questions. So like this is, this is really profound. Okay, you ready? You're going to ask questions, and you're going to listen. See what I just did there, right? Like you're going to ask questions and, and not anticipate what the other person's going to say. You know how we do that? Not fill in the sentences. You're just going to listen. Ask questions without interrupting. And I'm, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting this from um, the author and counselor, the, the late David Powelson. He called these conversations of consequence. I just call them the weekly meeting, okay? Write these down. I'm going to give you six things to ask. You ready? You got a bulletin? You got a phone? Number one, what brought you joy this week? What do you delight in? Number two, where are you struggling? That can be burdens that you're carrying, things you're anxious about, fears, your pressure points. You know, where are you struggling? What's one specific thing I can do for you this week? What's one specific way I can pray for you this week? Number five, is there anything unresolved that, we need to, that I need to confess, that we need to confess and resolve? Is there anything unresolved that we need to confess and resolve? And finally, is there something that you're dreaming about or desiring, hopes you have for the future? I'll read those again. What brought you joy this week? Two, where are you struggling? Three, what's one specific thing I can do for you this week? Four, how can I pray for you? One specific way I can pray for you this week. Five, is there anything unresolved that we need to confess and resolve? Six, is there something you're dreaming or desiring, hoping for the future? And then, here's part three. This is a really crazy one. You pray out loud, both of you together. 
for your unity. And then once a month, you should also talk if you're, as a couple about the stewarding of your finances and about your sex life. I don't think anybody does this. It would make a world of difference if you did. Create space for the Spirit of God to work in your relationship. And by the way, this isn't like just marriage mojo for you, special sauce. You could do this in every relationship. You have a good friend you meet with and go on walks with. This, would, this is going to deepen your relationship. You know, by way of closing, I, I want to say this. You know, unity, unity for us is like a pair of scissors. You know what's funny about scissors is nobody describes this as scissor. I don't know why. I've never thought about that before this week. I'm trying to think of a closing illustration. Nobody describes this as a scissor. You don't have a scissor in your house. In fact, if you took it apart and had one scissor, that would just be a really dumb knife. Right? Like a dumb knife with a weird handle. But it's a pair of scissors. And the, the, way, the reason that scissors work, right, is that they work pulling against each other with this one point of axis between them, right? This one place of unity. They're not the same. Two different handles. This is what distinguishes right-hand scissors from left-hand scissors, as you know. But the reason that they work is that they pull against each other. There's a unity and a functionality to these, working together. This is my prayer for all of our relationships, that when we are people who understand or are moving toward unity, there are things that are able to be created, right? Things that are beautiful because of what's happening in our relationships, right? There are things that because we're discovering the unity that God has for us and we're fighting for it, that there's things that are made out of that in our lives and in our world because we're opening ourselves up to that. Let's pray together. Father, we need your power at work among us. Lord, we're deeply convicted the ways that this is not true in our lives. We pray, Father, you would give us hope today in your Spirit's power at work within each of us, that you're able to change us from the inside out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.